Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to a Saturday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. We are recording this right after Real Madrid beat Getafe 2-1 in the first game back at Santiago Bernabeu, the new Santiago Bernabeu, which looks like a spaceship now. And there's still a ton of work to do. There's still a lot of renovations left, a lot of things that need to be added. But it's nice to be back home and nice to be back home and starting yet, starting that journey back home with a W. Fourth win in four games. And there's a lot of pessimism around Real Madrid mm-hmm. right now. You know, there's major injuries. There are a lot of people disappointed that we didn't sign a star striker. But yet, Real Madrid on the field are doing what they're supposed to do, game in, game out. They have tackled these four games with four victories. And of course, who else but Jude Bellingham stepping up again, the right place at the right time for already, uh, is it his fifth goal of the season? I gotta start. I, I gotta start counting now. I I'm, I've lost track. I've lost track. It's like what five goals in four games, something like that. Something like that. Five goals in four games sounds right to me. Um, Ancelotti said after the game that Bellingham can score 15 goals this season. Wait, are you taking the over on that or the under? I will take him at 15 goals. I think right now uh, he's doing. Like, like I was checking before this game and he had scored like four goals out of like one XG. That rate is just not going to hold. So he's not like he's just not going to score at this rate. So let's just say that right now he's on a hot streak. I think realistically 15 at this point, it would be 15 goals, which is a terrifying number for a midfielder. So you're saying 15 dead even. That's what you're you're going to that's your compromise. I'm I'm going for 15 dead. I kind of agree with Carlo. Like I think 15 is a good target. Especially to, like given the hot streak he's in, yes. There's two things that there's two different forces at play here, you know, pulling this discussion apart. One is that he is outperforming his xG like you said and you have to factor in the 
there that eventually there's going to be a cool down effect, right? Yes. Maybe the honeymoon phase ends and he's still brilliant, but maybe he's not scoring as much. Then there's the opposite force of this. It's like, well, hold on. He's playing more advanced than he's ever has in his career. He yeah. is being asked to basically play as a second striker. He has got a brilliant knack for being at the right place at the right time with his off-ball instincts, whether it's to pounce on a rebound or just latch onto a final ball, get his head on something. So I don't know. Like I'll I'm gonna I'll hedge on the over. I'll I'll go on the over. Um nice. It's not at this rate, it's not like it's not a bad bet given the hot streak, he said. Yeah. Um, so Bellingham scored the game winning goal, but of course there's a lot in this game to talk about, and Bellingham was not the only player that stood up. So we should get to the whole holistic view of this game against um, a terrorist organization that is named Getafe Club de Football. Maybe they should change Club to something else because I'm not sure that was football. But uh, I guess we can start at the top. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of theorizing of what Carlo will do. You and I spoke about it on the mailbag. A lot of discussion between 4-3-3, 4-4-2, the Christmas tree formation from the Milan coaching days. And... Um, Obviously, a lot of this comes on the back of Vinicius Jr.'s injury. This is our first game without him, first full game without him this season. So we were trying to figure out what's going to happen. Turns out, um, Modric starts, obviously takes the captain's armband with him due to longevity. And Cruz is on the bench. Fede Valverde is on the bench. Those are the two um, notable emissaries from the midfield. Did that surprise you, Jose? That did surprise me because especially at least now when the team is still like I was expecting, of course, some rotation with Kroos and Modric once the team started playing uh, twice a week. But I was thinking that, okay, as long as the team keeps playing once a week, the lineup is going to remain stable and the young player and the young midfielders are still going to have priority. Um, I can see some of the reasoning. I mean, I can see how against I, I think what today showed is that against uh, a satanic deep block like this, uh Modric and Kroos still have a lot of still have a lot to offer in the in these instances. Uh I think and the beautiful thing about it is that now they come into these kinds of games well rested and you can see the difference because today I think we had some really nice Modric and Kroos performances, and the fact that they don't have to play each and every game uh, is a factor there. Yeah. Uh, first of all, we're right now we're at the one week pace, a uh, one game a week pace, so that helps, um, and it obviously helps that they haven't been starting every game. And I also think with the opponent we we face today, like when I was thinking about when I saw Carlo introduce Cruz at halftime and then you had the situation where Cruz and Modric on the field, I thought to myself, well, Getafe are not going to test us much defensively. So in a game where you need a genius exactly. or two geniuses on the ball who can be incisive and create and you won't, and you can maybe get away with having too many Rudiger and Alba in transition doing pro- the, the heavy work defending in transition, I think it'll be okay. And obviously, it turned out to be more than okay because Cruz had an incredible game off the bench. We'll get to that. Um, so that was kind of the starting lineup things. Um, I suppose I was surprised that Fede came in so late 
but I, I yeah. also thought he looked good in his in his cameo. It was a good well. cameo. It was a good yeah. cameo. It was a good cameo, I think. And we saw like not just, of course, like Fede's usual ball carrying and everything, and like being more aggressive, like being more aggressive going into the box uh, uh, than say Modric. But you even saw like some neat passes here and there. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget that. Fede actually has a passing game to him. Yeah. So um, let's go through that wild first half. The whole game was pretty wild. I mean, as far as the low scoring games go, like, you know, it was 1-0 at halftime, 1-0 for a while, and then 1-1 and then 2-1. I mean, it was, to me, it flew by. Like, I don't know where the time went. Yeah. Because it was nonstop. Something was happening. And... It was just inc- an incredible game in terms of. I I I will say this about. <laughs> I I have nothing. No, I have nothing good to say about Khatafe. I just want to say that, um. Like when you play against them, I know it's not football, but viewers also can't take their eyes. Like the same thing happened against Barcelona, even though it was a nil nil. Everyone was glued to the TV because it was just so wild and chaotic to watch Getafe just kick the shit out of Barca. And then, you know, even today, like we all it's it it was brutal to watch, but it was also like highly eventful. Yes. And, and th- sometimes sometimes like I even like I can't even call it like Bordalas ball because whatever they do, it's not with the ball like it's. <laughs> It like it, it, you can't even call it that. And today, like the first half, for example, was they were quiet compared to say the Barcelona game in the first half because like you only got like four minutes of added time. Like in the Barcelona game, they got like ten minutes of added time just in the first half. Yeah. Um. Look, thankfully, La Liga has actually been pretty entertaining so far. There's been a lot of goals. Um, and that surprised me. So the rest of La Liga's right now is making up for the the terrorist organization that is Getafe. So when you watch that first half, Jose, can you diagnose the difficulty um that Realmadrid were having against Getafe? Like what was what was it that Getafe were doing apart from the obvious kicking the shit out of us, but also you can talk about yeah. tactics, you can talk about their antics, their dark arts, whatever you want. Yeah, I'll go a bit into the tactics because in this case, so uh, their main block, so you see that they start the game with like, like you see the original lineup, they start with a bunch of center backs and you're wondering, okay, what, what kind of Satanism is going to happen now? Uh, And I was wondering how that was going to be laid out on the pitch. And then I see the actual line, like I see the actual line of the game starts and it was incredible because it's the first time in my life I've seen a double pivot with two center backs because Omar Alderete and Engine Dakonam were in the double pivot there, which I like. That's the one that blew my mind because it's, I'd never seen a double pivot like this. Um, so, like, I was losing my mind most of the first half just with that because it's just, it just shows that, like, this team was not really thinking about what do you want to do with the ball. It's really thinking about what to do against the ball. The guy that's normally in the double pivot, uh, Maximovic, he was actually more on the left. So it was almost like covering, uh, trying to like trying to cover Real Madrid's right side. I think they were also expecting kind of Carvajal and Fede on that side. So probably they were expecting like 
a bit more aggressiveness there in terms of movement. Um, and what's interesting about that 4-4-2 is that it shifts a lot. Uh, Hitafe shifted a lot between a back four and a back five, depending on the situation. Because, of course, once you have that 4-4-2, sometimes then Real Madrid starts committing more players forward. And then, say, they have to deal with, like, this line of, like, five Real Madrid attackers. Because in the end, you have, like, uh, say, Jude, uh, Jose, Lu, Rodrigo. Like, those are kind of the front three, in a way. And then you have the fullbacks bombing up and down. So you often have to deal with, like, at least the line of five. And in those situations, then you got, uh, for example, Alderete, uh, you, he started taking like a step back and move, shifting into the defensive line. And then it becomes more of a five, three, two. So situationally, that four, four, two became like a five, three, two, depending on how deep, uh, Hetafe had to defend. And that's how they all. And how does this uh, how did this affect Real Madrid? Well, part of the problem is that the only actual box play, like box presence that the team had, was Jose. Lu. For the rest of the time, like yes, Rodrigo can sometimes get into the box, but a lot of the time he's outside the box trying to create something. The same thing with Bellingham. So the only consistent box presence was Jose Lu, and a lot of the time he had to deal with four to five Hetafe players in the box. And that was the main issue that I saw throughout the first half, which is that the team could get to a certain point and they could even combine to the point where they got into the final third. But then once the team got into the final third, the whole puts, create something, send it into the box and try to get a shot out of it. It never happened either because Hetafe had enough men to prevent that pass into the box, or if the pass over there was a pass into the box, Jose Lu was uh, was outnumbered there. So sometimes, of course, Bellingham or Rodrigo or even the fullbacks, even Carvajal and Fran Garcia would make the run into the box. But in general, Real Madrid was outnumbered in the box, and it was really hard to get shots off in that environment. And that's why I think a lot of what the team did did not translate into shots. This is a very unique, strange, and funky version of Real Madrid that we're not used to seeing. I mean, yes, I had I talked about it on the podcast with Sid uh, last night, where just bringing up the fact that this is the first time we don't have a star striker in some 40 years. And Arancha Rodriguez had tweeted that this is the first time in Real Madrid history that Ramja don't have a number nine. Like the number nine is not assigned to somebody. It's never happened before mm-hmm. in club history. And then you have a situation as well with Finici's injury, which makes this circumstance ex- extremely unique because we really don't have much width in attack. So all of our width is coming from the fullbacks. And it was it was kind of weird to see the team navigate that. And obviously because of Hatape low blocks, and I mean you you go through different phases of this game. They were just deep deep banks blocks and and banks of six and five and and every single person behind the ball and you know obviously the worst thing you can do against a team like that who is also extremely uh has an extreme identity of riling opponents up getting in their heads stopping play as much as possible being very physical um the worst case scenario against a team like that is to go down a goal early (laughs) Uh, and then, of course, uh, 
I thought that the the ref also allowed them to play a certain way without punishing much. So we go down a goal early and and it makes it a little bit difficult. And obviously Ancelotti assesses it and then takes Fran Garcia out. I mean, that that surprised me a little bit. We should talk about that in a second. Me too. Um, but ultimately it all worked out. Um, did, so with with the mistake, I mean. He obviously made a clear mistake. Fran Garcia, he I think he puts Alaba under a little bit too much pressure with that back pass to him. Rudiger does his best to save the play, but he just gets a little bit unlucky. You know, he sprints back and the ball kind of just goes through him and into the net. Of course, it's Borja Mayoral who scores. By the way, Mayoral and Latassa, <laughs> seeing those two lead the line of this Getafe and Latassa especially joining in and being brainwashed of this is how you play. He was throwing body checks around. A little little piece of me inside died. Um, on that sequence, Jose, what went wrong? Um, could you pinpoint it apart from Fran Garcia making a mistake? Also, was Kepa a little bit too aggressive coming off his line in that situation? What do you think? I mean, once you're in that position, that's one of the, like, once the keeper is in that position, I think you have to be a really great keeper to hold that one. And I mean, I like Kepa, but he's not at that level. Like it's it's just one of those where like you look at it, it's like it's Courtois. Okay, he can he can probably save that because he's a fire breathing dragon. But for Kepa, I think that situation. I don't know if uh, I'm a bit conflicted on that because I normally like my keepers to be a bit more on the aggressive side. Uh, was it a bit too aggressive? I don't know if it would have been much better if he had stayed on his line, if I think about it. Like, it's just gives the the striker, like, a larger angle to decide, to choose his shot. And I do think maybe the execution was not flawless, but I think the decision to go forward and try to reduce the striker's angle is still the right decision from Kepa. Then as far as the, then as far as the pass, yeah, um, it's a bit... It is a bit of a like it is a bit of a complex uh situation because I feel like it's just one of those where like eight out of ten times uh Fran can make the that pass, Alaba controls it, and then you get out of it as if nothing happened. Uh but this is the one time where it just it just wasn't going to be the case. And and it is true that maybe Fran is not the the footballer you expect to have like hundred percent like big precision in these kinds of first touch under pressure situations. Uh, the only thing I'd like to say is that I mean, Hitafe is the one that forced those passes and that. switch of play then Fran so that's part of their own pressing work Fran was probably a bit ambitious trying to get uh that switch of play uh, back to Alaba on the first touch and then yeah and then Al- Alaba doesn't man- can't manage to control it uh and then the ball gets stolen so it's just one of those sequences where uh to me the credit still goes mostly to Hetafe in that that's kind of their whole but like that's kind of their whole shtick. They want to force those mistakes when you're building up. Um and it's and that's what ended up happening. And kind of the painful thing is that it's really just that one mistake and that's the goal. So 
Well, and that, and then at half by halftime, Getafe had us exactly where they wanted us. But of course, um, our remontada DNA would not allow it. Um, what what did you think of Fran Garcia's performance overall? Because I kind of it reminded me a little bit of the first game against Athletic in the sense that I think nerves were a factor, but I I think he did good things as well. Ancelotti said after the game that uh, his you know taking. Fran Garcia off at halftime doesn't it, it he does not view Fran Garcia any differently or value him any differently he but he he did mention that perhaps the the atmosphere of the Bernabeu you know factored in some of the nerves against Athletic he was making his Real Madrid debut this season and against um Catafa today he was making his first his debut at Bernabeu so nerves could have could have been a factor there um but I also think Despite some of that shakiness, and it wasn't just that that pass to Alaba, um, there were a couple other things too. Um, there was there were just a one or two more passes where it just looked a little bit too jittery for him. There was one moment in the thirty seventh minute where he he could have just kept uh, kept shielding the ball and let the ball run out of bounds, but instead he forced a clearance and it goes right to a Katafia player. There was a couple moments like that where I just like it looked to me like a little bit shaky. Like you don't re- you didn't really see that stuff from Fran Garcia with Rio so much last season. I think the 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 few games in between, he's been better in that sense. But uh he also is the one who sets up Jose Lu for that golden chance in the six yard box, if you remember. Yeah. Uh, in the first half, and that came off a really brilliant run because he cuts inside and then cuts back outside, gets to the left half space, and then sets it up brilliantly for Jose Lu. Um, you could argue that should have been an, an assist. Yeah. So I don't think like it was a he was bad enough to take off. But having said that, um, why don't we get to the switch? I mean, so Alaba or uh, Nacho comes in. My first thought was. Uh, sorry, let me. I'm going ahead of myself here. What, what what were your thoughts on Fran Garcia's performance? I think it was a good example of his pros and cons. Because of course, Fran Garcia is not like a footballer of like tremendous technical security under pressure. Like it is, yeah. Like he he's not that kind of footballer. He's not like Alaba, for example. That like if Alaba had 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 to receive like that. Uh, uh, had had to receive, had to pick up that second ball that that happened during the goal. He would have probably passed with the right, like with the right strength. Uh, he does like Fran will have more of those mistakes in him because he doesn't have that level of technical security under pressure. So that has always been clear with Fran. It, but what does he give you? A lot of intensity, and that's current. And and I think that goes really well with the current game plan with like the intense midfield diamond with all the back and forth um it is true that just sometimes when you have a uh, a football like in many ways it reminds me cuz like somebody was asking me about Reguilon this week since he's moving to Manchester United and hmm. there are certain things where he does remind me like sometimes Reguilon had these situations where he looked like really rushed as if uh, really rushed as a in everything he did, and sometimes Fran does give me that feeling like he's rushing without a need to rush, um, and that can lead to more mistakes, especially in possession, 
than than what you'd like. Um, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of the issue. But at, on the other side, then you get a lot of intensity. And right now, a lot of intensity is what this team ne- needs to support kind of the diamond, uh, the four midfielder setup. And I think against like I was kind of against uh, su- subbing him out because part of what I was telling you before, like I thought the team did not have enough players going into the box. And actually the fullbacks were rather active going into the box. And Fran has that energy to get into the box more than Alaba. Did. So, uh, so what did, but, but what was Sanchelotti's logic with this change? Uh, Alaba gives you a bit more of that technical security under pressure. So those mistakes, so mistakes like the ones that happened in the first half were not going to happen. Uh, and he also gave, gave you, a, a, and Alaba still has a bit like a, a better pass and control in tight spaces, which might work better off Rodrigo. I think that was kind of the logic in subbing him in. Uh, what you lose out is yes, you lose box presence because Alaba wasn't going to make the runs into the box that, that Fran could make. So that's, and I think at that point in the game, I felt like Real Madrid needed that box presence from the fullbacks more than it needed kind of the te- the technical security and the combo play. So that's why I didn't quite agree with the move. And I do think that later in the game, uh, the team got more of that box presence, say, with Fede's substitution. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, it's interesting you make the point about the difference between Alaba and Fran Garcia attacking the box. I mean, there was one sequence where... Bellingham's on the right. He shakes his defender with a really nice shoulder drop, gets past him and puts in this cross. And it's Fran Garcia who is on the end of it. Yes. And, and Fran Garcia remember. is attacking the is attacking the ball in the box. And uh, I think it's great that he's doing that. I also don't I like I obviously would rather that to be Jose Lu, for example, because I don't, you know, Fran Garcia can't really do with anything with that cross because of his player profile. And I think the, honestly, the the primary difference to me between Fran Garcia and David Alaba at the left back position is that I don't know what the word is composure maybe. Like Fran Garcia is yeah. a is a highly chaotic player, and yes. that can bring a lot of good stuff, but it also has some uh, negative stuff that comes with it. The negative stuff is that you know can sometimes he. He needs to just relax and slow the game down and, you know, make sure he makes the right decision on the ball. Maybe not leave too much space behind. Maybe be a little bit better on the ball when it comes to being pressured and giveaways. 
at the same time, it also brings just it's constantly dragging players around, the defenders around, creating space for others. He's always in attack mode, right? And and so maybe Carlo just wanted something a little bit more channeled and composed yes. and experienced in that situation. So Alaba is just a different profile to have. Um, I think it's good though, I because mean, Alaba's been vocal, like he doesn't want to play left back. You know, he wants to play center back. Um, and and that and him being vocal about that is why when I saw the sub initially, I was like, I don't know how Nacho helps us break lines more than Fran Garcia does in this scenario when we need to break that low block. Of course, it was Alaba. So I am glad that it was Alaba who went to the left-back position. I thought it's, you know, having Nacho on the field in these moments is great anytime. Like, having these captains, captain-like figures in to keep our heads against Getafe is, is always welcome. You know, Vasquez is another one who I actually thought had a good game too. But... uh. Yeah, so that's the sub. Oh, sorry, let's. Uh, there's probably more from the first half that we haven't explored yet. Was there anything else in the first half that you saw? Anything else from the first half? In general, the shot production was not ideal. And the main issue, I would say, is the plan from this team, like in the last few games, has really been like being so intense. Like so intense. Well, you have this mix of very intense, but also highly technical players in midfield um, and the forward line. And and what you want is to really beat opponents really in terms of one versus one, either physically, either technically or or, or on the dribble. That's really what you want to do. Um, The whole point of Hitafe is that, um, again, Bordalas does whatever brainwashing and Satanism is necessary to get these guys to be so convinced going into these, like, to get these guys all mentalized, like, to really win those one-versus-one duels. These guys are really hard to beat uh, one-versus-one. And you could see see that here. Like, it's just uh, Bellingham, Rodrigo, they couldn't get away as often as they could in maybe uh, other games or against other opposition. And it is, it is against this kind of opponent where like not having Vinicius really hurts you because he's in the end, your biggest one, uh, one-on-one attacker. So, uh, there were, so that was also part of the issue that I saw during the first half is like, you didn't have, like, there was not enough, uh, like, Players were not particularly inspired on the one-on-one in order to get past Hitafe players, and the best one-on-one threat is injured. So that also affected the strategy in the second half kind of changed because instead of saying we're going to beat these guys one-on-one, then you bring in Kroos, you have Kroos, Modric, Alaba at the, at the fullback, and then the strategy is a bit more like we're going to try to beat these guys by moving the ball really quickly instead of trying to just beat them one-on-one. And that's really the big change during the second half, which is introduced by by bringing in Kroos. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because you mentioned um, just some of the, maybe some of the differences in the first half and second half in that, and the and the shot volume and and the ability to to create chances you know that did improve in the second half a little bit and Carlos spoke yes. about it a little bit. Um, I think it was you know in terms of breaking a low block, 
I don't have huge, huge complaints about the way we play. Um, no matter no matter how great of a team you are offensively, it's always going to be a challenge to play a team like this. Um, there's only so much you can do. Creating chaos is honestly like some of the best things you can do. You know, runs into the half space, unpredictable, fluid football, players dragging players away, crosses, um, counter pressing are great because you can pounce on loose balls and rebounds. You look at the two goals we scored; it was that was the case. The shot volume was also solid. I mean, we let me just uh, I can share my screen here. I think this is interesting. I'll just share my screen here. If you're on YouTube, you can follow along. Um, and if you're listening at home without video, I'll just narrate it so you can know what I'm talking about. So this is a, a lot of shots in the box, right? So we generate 2.65 XG from that. Uh, on Managing Madrid, Sam wrote that Jose Luis and Rodrigo themselves combined for 1.4 something uh, XG. Obviously, Jose Luis's big chance here in the 39th minute was a huge part of that. But look at the high volume of shots. And Rodrigo, I believe, had nine shots, if I'm getting that right. Was it? Oh, my yeah, God. Nine shots, which went under the radar, which I, which I think I, I bring this up because I actually want to talk about Rodrigo, who got a lot of um, a lot of criticism uh, for his performance tonight. Just want to double check this. Yeah, nine shots. And one of them was on target. So I think with him... In in games like this, you need players like him. Nine shots, only one on target, and I think people will criticize that. Like I've people I've seen people push back against me on this a few times where I've said like shot volume is so important. You need to you need players who can generate shots. And they're like, why? Like, oh, because games like this. Look at the look today uh Rod, uh Bellingham scored the game winner from a sh- rebound from a Vasquez shot. You need players who can just generate lots, a high volume of shots. So Rodrigo's, and I thought he improved as the second half wore on. Uh, one of his chances was <laughs> was a brutal shot where Jose Lu does a really good job to lay the ball off to him, and and Rodrigo just uh, botches the chance and volleys it into the crowd. But I liked his intent in this game. I thought that improved in the second half. In the first half, he was a little bit too quiet for me. I don't know if it was because maybe he was too central. He needed to go out left more to get the ball and go where he's comfortable to find more space. But in the second half, I thought he did a really good job. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that a lot of these shots are Rodrigo, right? So Rodrigo right there, Rodrigo right there, and Rodrigo right there, Rodrigo right there. This is like a lot of this is Rodrigo. And I think his intent was important. Um I also I wanted to get your theory on this. With uh I'm not sure if I really like the way Carlo handled the penalty stuff in the last mm. game and I don't know if I'm reading too much into it but Rodrigo misses the penalty, Carlo gets angry, everyone's seen that scene. Uh Carlo later explains that he wanted more to take the penalty, the message did not get to them the players in time for whatever reason. Then in yesterday's pregame presser, Carlo says our three penalty shooters are Jose Lu, Moric, and Vinicius. And he kind of excludes Rodrigo. And I'm thinking, like, what did Vinicius do to to be in that short list that Rodrigo can't be when it comes to penalties specifically? And I just don't know, like, how much that all this whole the penalty stuff 
hurt his confidence overall. Obviously, this that was his first penalty he also took since the miss in the World Cup, that penalty miss. Um, am I reading too much into that, do you think? Not necessarily, because when I heard also the shooter list, I also f- didn't understand why Vinicius would be there instead of Rodrigo. So I don't know if the so and of course, that's the bit of information that we don't know. Like, is it was this really planned from the beginning or is it some kind of punishment that now that now he says, OK, now the order is this and excludes Rodrigo from it? I don't know. If it's if it was really kind of a punishment, is that like okay, we're gonna put Vinicius now on penalties instead of Rodrigo because of what happened last time? Then I definitely wouldn't agree with that handling of the situation. If it's something that was already planned from before, then I'll just say okay, Carlo, Carlo, my and the coaching staff might have their reasons. Um, and how about just Rodrigo's performance overall? I yeah I'm this might be the analytics take from me but I can't blame a player who gets a lot of shots in like he's the, like the player is doing what they're supposed to do I know there's a lot of but like they have to finish and that's true but if you don't get shots off you don't get finishes so you have to begin somewhere you had like at at this point for this game Joselu got five shots. Rodrigo got nine. Both of your strikers got 14 shots total. It's yeah. against a team that's a nightmare to the, who are a nightmare when it comes, when it comes to attacking against them. I, of course you'd like the shots to have been from better positions and everything, but I think both Joselu and Rodrigo had a good performance. It's, reasonable to a degree to hold the missed chances against them, but a striker's duty before finishing is first to get the shots off. If they don't get the shots off, we can't even talk about we can't even talk about the finishing. So they did what they're supposed to. If they keep putting out good shot numbers, the goals will come. So there will be some frustrating games like these where they can't get the goals in, but if they keep shooting like this, the goals will come. Yeah, I I also don't think it was possible for those shots to have come like from From better better positions. positions. I mean, I agree. It can be maybe like in against another team in another game state, you can have maybe more open shots. But against this team with the amount of bodies they had in the box, I think it was it was pretty impossible to do. Um like again, we had we created three big chances and the rest were just high volume of us trying our best to just chip away at the wall and and try to chip away and break it. And we we just couldn't. Um back going back to the first half. We didn't talk about the three penalty shots, uh, three penalty shouts, uh, all on Bellingham. The first one, which was ca- called the VAR reviewed, canceled it. There was two more. Uh, I actually think the one that they didn't, the two that they didn't initially call were were actually the penalty shouts, and I I I understand why the first one was was canceled. Did you have any view on those? So 
Yeah, the first one that was canceled, it's something that if it had happened, I would have said it's like, okay, this is kind of a light penalty, but it's not the end of the world, not the end of the world to call it. Mm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think there were, let's just say that out of those three, there should have been at least one. There should have been at least one in my view. Like at least one of these uh, should have been one. Of course, every ref uh does it differently like it's really funny because to like i wrote an article uh, for football España a couple of weeks ago where i said okay just like if you want less to, like less time wasting in the league you need the refs to let play go on more and it's like and now it's like am i gonna complain now about the ref that let play go on damn it yeah <laughs> but it is it is definitely a game where you kind of wish that uh, certain things had been called more than they were, but yeah. I know it's it's a it's a it's a dilemma because uh, you know Lewandowski was talking about it the other day, where he's saying that in La Liga there's just too the refs stop the game too much, they 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 yeah. disrupt the game too much. Last year we saw that you know the amount of red cards and yellow cards in La Liga was crazy compared to the other leagues. And then you have the opposite problem where I feel like when in games like this, where you let things go against a team like Getafe, they feel like empowered and emboldened, like, oh, okay, we can be a little bit extra and get away with it today. And, uh, that's the, that's the message. And there were plenty of times with Vinicius in particular where I felt like La Liga didn't protect him as one of the household stars in the league. Like there was just a different rule with him. Like you can kick this guy five times. He can kick you once and he gets the yellow card. And I, so I think there's, you just, I think you got to use your common sense. Like the other one irked me, that irked me was that Kamavinga had a completely clean challenge in the first half and he got called for a foul. And this is the classic Kamavinga problem. He wins balls that look so impossible to win that the refs just can't conceive that it's a clean challenge. So they call it like, no, no one's legs can reach that. Like, yeah. There's a, there needs to be a specific scouting report for Kamavinga for referees. They get each get a sheet of paper before the game with Kamavinga's uh, reports. Like this guy is, uh, he has the leg of a king cobra. His leg just turns into a, a giant anaconda, and he wraps around and he wins the ball cleanly. Do not call, do not card. If you see a challenge, make sure you better be damn sure. Uh, I feel like Kamavinga is the victim of many bad calls because he wins balls that are inconceivable for him to win. But anyway, I'm just kind of nitpicking. Yeah, I don't, I don't like talking then, about the referee. Then, but then with Hetafe, uh, and f- like the things that Hetafe turns this into an art form, like it was similar, like uh, with Barcelona. That I, I don't remember how it was, but it's like I think in at some point, like in the game, like Barcelona had either more fouls or more yellow cards than Hetafe, and you're just wondering, like, how are we in this universe? Like, how are we in this universe? And they they've turned this into an art form, and it was the same at some point here in this game. I think the first half ended up, if I recall correctly, with more fouls from Real Madrid than from them, and it's yeah, that's crazy. Um. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So we got some of the referee complaints out of the way. Uh, second half, the equalizer. Kozilu, happy for him, man. Because he... Yes. He was, he's kind of turned into uh, extremely unfairly. He's been the one a lot of guys, a lot of fans are yelling at. None of this is his fault. He's a good striker in La Liga. He scored 16 goals last year. It's the, it's the third most of anyone in the league. He is a solid backup and a sporadic starter. He is not a Real Madrid starting quality striker that we're used to. Again, I don't think our starting striker has ever been a Jose Lu type player in at least four years. But it's not his fault. And he worked really hard. He was one of the people really fighting in the second half. Um his and you even think back to the the Celta game, Jose. His Ability to fight for a header at the far post that then leads to the corner that then leads to the Bellingham goal in, in, in the Celta game. And then today he's, you know, he's fighting in the box. He's trying to get on the end of rebounds. He's trying to keep the ball alive. Like, you know, remember that sequence in the second half where they were basically just heading the ball back and forth in Katape's yeah. box and it, and like he was trying to keep it alive and he, he gets the rebound. He gets a shot off. So I'm happy for him. I'm happy he got his goal. Um, yeah, so, and every set piece, and I mean every set piece, he's usually the big threat because he's uh, one of the most aerially dominant guys there. Like, it, like he was a threat. Like, he was a threat. This was, I was somewhat disappointed by, uh, like, I was a bit disappointed in the Celta game. Today, I really have, n- like, I don't really have much to criticize here with Jose Lu other than, of course, you'd like, you'd like him to finish, uh, like, for example, to get, like, that really big chance in the first half. But other than that, like, I, like, like, for what I expect of Jose Lu, I, I, I really, this is about as good as a, a of a performance a, a, as we can get from him. And he was active. He was always a threat in the box, either in set pieces. He was always there challenging for the headers. Uh, he got five shots off. I, again, it's just hard to ask more of him. Yeah, I thought it was great. And also, like, it's just so nice to have the fans back behind that goal, too, without the banner. And it, I think <clears throat> that's an underrated. That's an underrated signing. The fans back behind the net. We need those guys to, because every time we scored last year and the year before, yeah, we were celebrating with a banner. Like the the fans today, like really hyped it up back there. The you know, I wasn't there. Obviously, Ewan McTeer was there tonight for managing Madrid, and he's the one transcribing the press conference quotes, Carlo, and and t- soaking in the atmosphere. He was blown away. He thought it was incredible. Like he said, the roof adds like a different kind of atmosphere to it as well, and the the place looks amazing. Um, like he was really impressed. So it's good to be home. Um, Tony Cruz um, in his one half of football, seven key passes, seven of nine long balls completed. One incredible left-footed shot off the post that I didn't even think he was going to be able to get to. A couple incredible passes into the box. Just his his vision, his execution, everything 
Uh, and we kind of mentioned earlier why he makes sense in a game like this. What an asset and and just what an what an just an incredible player and just an amazing performance tonight off the bench. Yeah, I uh, so one thing that I had some concerns about like going into this season is that I I always bought like the concept of bringing in Modric in second halves as an impact sub. I bought that a lot less uh, in the case of Kroos cuz he's kind of like cuz rather than him being the player who breaks games or who like yeah, who breaks games in second halves, you imagine him as this guy who gives you control and stability during games. So it, it, like he doesn't exactly scream like impact sub to me. And then we see a performance like today where he was most definitely the impact sub. Um, it um, it gives it's gonna give vibes of like that uh, 2014 2015 season of Barcelona when Xavi was the one making substitute appearances. And yes, sometimes what he gave. Uh, more than breaking a game, what he was doing is actually give you more control and stability. Uh, but sometimes then he could have situations where his passing could unlock, uh, could unlock a game. And this is what we're seeing also with Kroos in these situations where, uh, and again, like I have to emphasize the fact that you can get Kroos and Modric well rested into these games is a big factor because there's just a, it's just a different energy. Like, like there are there are just certain things when if they are if they're playing every week if they're playing every week or twice a week you like I felt an energy in Kroos and Modric's game that I I didn't see last season when they had to play every game so I think this is very positive they are coming in with a different kind of energy and it really say and it sets them up very well to be like kind of substitutions that can really, really impact games during second halves. And then the other thing I'd comment is what I said before, where Kroos is basically the big change of strategy in the second half, because that's really when the team decides, okay, instead of trying to beat these guys one versus one, which is kind of the strategy that the team had been using in previous games, like break opponents one-on-one because our players are so good. This time around for the second half, the strategy was more, let's try to move the ball very quickly to try to destabilize their structure and try to and try to create spaces. And what better person to do that than Tony Kroos? I mean, the other midfield sub too, Fede Valverde was was awesome off the bench. And, you know, the first, like within moments of coming in, his first contribution is his bread and butter run into the right half space. Yep. That causes uh, so many problems for the defense. And you got like, it's hilarious because we mentioned Cruz coming off the bench and the ability to rest him and Mordrich and play them less and then, but when we play them, they look so fresh. It's not just them either. Like it, the fact that we can bring Fede Valverde off the bench today, <clears throat> no matter, like if you're the opponent, like last game, I think it was Cruz and Mordrich both came off the bench. Today, it's Fede and Cruz. Another day, it might be Kamavinga and Fede or Kamavinga and Cruz. Like no matter what combination of players comes in off the bench, you're the, if you're an opponent, you're like, oh man, like... Like that, they, that's their fresh legs as though those two midfielders are coming in. Um, and I know we're like stacked in midfield and thin in other positions, but you know, I guess just 
focusing on the positive, <laughs> the positive part of our depth chart. Uh, the yeah. midfield engine is, it's nice to have the depth there. It's, uh, really nice. Well, and it's important because in the end, that's the one area where the team is stacked. So that's where the impact substitutions are going to come, come in from. Yeah. Throughout most of this season. Uh, when Bellingham scores, uh, it definitely may have screamed a little bit. In, <laughs> I think my neighbor. Yeah, I hope my neighbors think I'm okay. <laughs> By now, they gotta just be. They gotta know. Like Jose watches football, and sometimes he ne- just makes crazy noises. These they are new neighbors, know. so they'll have to get <laughs> used to it. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, I'm just going to share my screen with this one too. Uh, I like to do this because I, when I, when I immediately after Real Madrid play, I like to go on managing Madrid uh, because I always learn something new and everyone should do the same thing too. So look like we only have four post game pieces up. Also a huge tactical article that I wrote um, is here. Nine tactical observations on Real Madrid that those articles are, go you know it takes me like a week to write and it's there's a lot of film in there and data so please go and read that so that uh i don't write it for nobody so three stats from real madrid 2-1 katafe by sam leverage this is the one that caught my eye uh bellingham becomes the 14th player to score in his first four la liga games uh in doing so he became the 14th man to do so in La Liga and only the second in Real Madrid history alongside Cristiano Ronaldo, the only other non-forward to do so was Cesc Fabregas at Barcelona. Hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to know if he scores next game, what the stat will be from Sam, because the stat keeps getting narrow and narrower. Like he kind of like started this at the beginning of the season after each game. And now the stat kind of changes every time because the, the, the short list of players who have, who have done this on their debut season uh, will just keep getting smaller. So uh, talk to me about Bellingham's performance. You can talk about, I'll, I'll just add my bit before I pass it on to you. Uh, he has the ability to have quiet games and still be just ice cold mentally in a moment to score. It's the same trait so many superstars have had in the past. Um, And I also thought like he was relatively quiet, but he was doing so much as well. Um, In the first half, he was doing a lot of good work on the right wing. I thought his understanding with Modric was, was very good. And and they were, they had a bit of interchangeability going on with them, especially in the first half. His, ingenuity in tight spaces uh i mean you even saw it on the the penalty which got overturned just his quick thinking like to get around two three players his touches there's a there's a different level to him that he makes things look effortless um and some of it is subtle and of course the goal itself is not a spectacular goal it's not a golasso but it's understanding of where to be pouncing on a loose ball you know the a lot of people would complain these people are, you know, probably not someone I should be referencing, but a lot of people would complain when Cristiano Ronaldo scored Cristiano Ronaldo scored quote unquote easy goals. 
And the answer was always like, look, if it was so easy, everyone would be doing it. He understands the game on a different level. He moves off the ball at a different level. And I think Bellingham has just this natural instinct of knowing where to be. Uh, I don't know where this season, what the season would look like without him, quite frankly. But yeah, go ahead. Your, your thoughts on Bellingham. Yeah, I think uh, it's one of the, well, it's one of those performances where, again, like Bellingham has shown even in previous games, like against Athletic, by uh, his one-on-one domination of other teams and of other players. And again, this was an opponent that was really hard to beat one versus one. And you could see that. I think, um, again, in this case, like in this game, just Bellingham and Rodrigo just had fewer successful dribbles than usual. It was just hard for them to get past their man. But even then, you see a lot of resources, like the changes of direction, the shoulder drops, the feints, like even those little things that don't count as dribbles. And Bellingham still uses them to try to generate chances or shots or passes. Um, Yeah, just all, like you said, like all of those little details in tight spaces are so valuable. So maybe this game didn't, uh, like aside from the goal, didn't look like this huge statistical showing of Jude Bellingham, but so much of what he does unlocks spaces for the rest of the team. A lot of like, like, like these days, what the team does is like, you try to get the ball to say to Jude in zone 14. And then he, cause the team at this point already, like you already know that you can get him the, uh, the ball in front of the box and he can probably make something happen. There's always going to be something. He's always going to try to do a feint or a dribble or something to try and then try to send and then try to thread a pass through the defensive line for one of the fullbacks. Like, you know, when he gets that ball in zone 14, you know that something is going to happen. He's at that point right now. And, uh, and at this point, yeah, it's a player who is completely fundamental to uh, how this team breaks down, breaks down opponents. He's becoming very quickly, very necessary for these kinds of situations. And, he can, and the nice thing is that he just shows up everywhere, like you mentioned. Like today, like I was trying to look at the pass uh, at the heat maps. I haven't looked at all of them yet, but I got a feeling that today he was operating, like you said, maybe a bit more on the right uh, compared to other games. Part of it might also be like, especially when Vinicius plays, like we're very left sided, maybe this time around. And with Modric on the right, there was a bit more. Uh, play uh, and possession and the the ball was going around a bit more on the right side so this time we saw him a bit more on the right side but yeah that's a beautiful thing he's always gonna do whatever the play and the team requires of him Uh, I mean at this point the main concern in it like for example the main concern I had today with Bellingham had less to do with him and more to do with the fact that sometimes it feels like the team needs him in two places at the same time. Like that that sometimes you need him to be the one making that pass. You, you need him to be the one being in zone 14, making that pass, making that pass or finding that space. But you'd also like him to be in the box, getting on the end of that pass too. So uh, th- that's the only, uh, like the one comment I would have, that it felt like sometimes 
it's just like too like at this point the need, the team needs it too much because you need both the creative version of him on the ball, but you also need the aggressive version of him at attacking spaces and it, and as quick and as much ground as he covers, he can't literally be in two places at the same time, even if he tries. Well, well, sometimes you see sequences like that from him where he is in those places in one sequence where like he'll win the ball, he'll pass it forward and then sprint into the box and hope to get it back. And so like, yeah, there is a lot on his shoulders. Thankfully, I think if you're relying on him to do stuff deeper, we have so many great midfielders that luckily that's a bit mitigated in this situation. Here's his heat map. Uh, Pretty much everywhere. I don't think he's, it's not everywhere in the opposition in half. Yeah. One specific area. Yeah. Um, did you have any notes on our two right backs, Vasquez and Carvajal? For Carvajal today, I still think it's a fairly solid game. The intensity is still there. So I have, um, and in general, like this was, this wasn't a game where, uh, the team was tested a lot defensively. There wasn't that much of a threat to worry about defensively. He didn't have too many threats to worry about. He was always intense. He had several situ- like wh- the nice thing about Carvajal when he's playing at this level of physical intensity is that he's also very useful in counter pressing situations. So you lose the ball like close to Hetafe's box, and then he already has like uh, the chip in his head of like okay. Time to hound the hound the uh, the opposition to try to prevent them to get into a good counter attacking situation. So he had like several of these situations where like the team lost, loses the ball and immediately he shuts down like the ball carrier and prevents a transition from Hitafe. And those things are extreme. Those situations like you don't see them. Uh, as that valuable, but they're extremely valuable because you prevented what could have been a dangerous counterattack from those. So I still think it's a pretty good Carvajal performance and he's still very intense. He's still covering a lot of ground and he's still producing a lot. So I still think uh, maybe statistically uh, it feels a bit, I need to check like statistically it feels like it was maybe a bit less productive than previous games, but I still think Carvajal is performing at a really good level. I, I and like then, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. And then with Lucas, I think Lucas still, like, the thing I always appreciate about Lucas Vasquez is that um, even if at this point he can't. He's, Lucas, what he's always had is just a very good end product. And. You can still see that, like every time he puts crosses into the crosses and passes into the box. Yeah, um, I mean, he had one really brilliant ball into the box. Uh, it's like this little dinked over the top ball to to Fede in the right half space, and this, and obviously his shot leads to the rebound to the Bellingham. He also had one really good defensive intervention. Um, Carvajal, I thought was good again. You're right; it like in terms of numbers and stats, it 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 may not show, but I thought he he was really good, solid, solid again. Um, there was prob there was only one thing I nitpick, and that was in the 57th minute he gives away really poor giveaway, and Hatafe have a transition attack, and eventually I think we nearly concede from that. It's the one where Kepa has to make a save, 
Mm-hmm. The ball falls to uh, Darmian Suarez, and Rudiger sprints to close him down. <clears throat> uh, but other than that, it was it was really good again. One thing I didn't enjoy was towards the end, like as the game was being closed out. This is like deep into injury time after Bellingham's already scored. We were passing it all the way back to Kepa. And I was like, I don't know if I like this. I'd much rather like send, get the ball to Bellingham or Rodrigo, let, let them hold it the corner flag or just keep possession in their third. Cause Kepa actually gave it away on one sequence in those, uh, when we were passing it back to him, like a shocking ball out of the back. I just kind of makes me a little bit nervous and not enjoy that part. Um, did you see some of the wild stuff from the celebrations when Bellingham oh. scored? Uh, Rudiger, Rudiger, of course. That's the Rud- one I... Rudiger obviously f- throwing himself, I mean, not intentionally, <laughs> but basically goes into the stands. He's trying to jump onto the huddle. Uh, I can't share my screen for any of that stuff because of copyright issues, but there was another... <laughs> Go look at Jose if you... It's, it's on the Managing Madrid Twitter account. Alaba slapping Brahim Diaz in the face. Of course, this is... <laughs> Of course, uh, in the Celta game, Alaba also punched Bellingham in the chest. Remember, Alaba's celebrations are getting a little bit out of hand. I, I hope that he needs, he needs to channel it. Like, if if he's going to go all out and and samurai kick someone in the neck, eventually, at least save it for a Champions League final, so that you know we have some time for that player to to rest after the the samurai kick happens. But I hope that doesn't get progressively more aggressive. Obviously, it's. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's great. It's great meme material, and I love the passion. Uh, <laughs> he slaps Brahim. Yeah, Diaz, I mean, which, yeah. These kinds of, I mean, these kinds of victories are just very good for team morale. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, I honestly, for I, I don't know, for the good of my health and my heartbeat, I'd rather we don't have too many of these. But yeah, when they do happen, it's quite nice for team spirit. Uh. Alaba slapping Brahim Diaz reminds me if uh, to ask you if you had any notes on Brahim's cameo. Mm, of course, it was short. Um, yeah. Of course, some nice turns, nice dribbles, nice situations. Uh, uh, let's like let's just say that it in this game it was very difficult for Brahim or for anyone to get past the Hitafe guy. Like that was gonna be very hard. Uh, for it to happen, and Brahim's well, end product. Let's say that end product is not like his strongest suit. Um, so I didn't get to see. Like I, I guess what I was hoping was maybe something more on the ball carrying side. But at the very least, you had like some nice interventions, like in between the lines combinations. But yeah, other than that, like we don't, we don't really get that much more. Uh, from Brahim in the uh, in these situations, and like I said, this was uh, I, I think what's most valuable about Brahim is his one versus one. I also wanted him a bit earlier in the game because of that, but I think generally this was a game where no Real Madrid player was particularly inspired on the one one v one, and I and like be, yeah, it was just uh, like it was not going to be the team's game uh, in that regard, and it was. Because no one really was uh, was doing so well one versus one that they could consistently get advantages against Hitafe. Right. Um, I don't have 
much on Chu many because he's not like compared to everybody else. I just don't have as many notes on him, but I did like his performance. And I and I liked kind of he had a no nonsense approach to this game where it's like you get the ball, you try to find a direct vertical pass, one touch if possible. And uh I I th- I liked I liked the way he played in this game. Um and I don't I don't know if there's a whole lot left. I mean, we didn't really mention we didn't mention Luka Modric had a flying header, which I didn't know he could do. <laughs> well, that's a, I think that might have been that's the first, first time he's ever done that's that. That's a right? first, yes. Okay. Uh, if there's anything left that we haven't seen from Modric, um, that was probably on the list. Yes, yeah, it's one of the, one of the few things remaining. Uh, okay, do you have anything else that we didn't talk about? No, I think at this point that's pretty much it. Like it's just. Uh, to me, the summary, it's just a game where, for example, if one of the attackers or the midfielders had like an inspiring day 1v1, this would have been a lot easier. Mm. It, was, it wasn't. It um, was Partly, yeah, maybe partly because they were lacking the inspiration, partly because Hetafe is just brainwashed to like be this hard to beat uh, one versus one. Um, I also find like I, one of the problems I do find generally with the diamond strategy and with just having like two proper strikers is that, yes, yeah, sometimes you just don't have enough players in the box. And today, between the lack of one versus one and the lack of more players in the box, that really made it sometimes difficult to generate shots. Um, and that's why I think at least. The strategy change uh, into in the second half and Kroos coming in was extremely useful because then we started trying to do a different method of trying to break down this block, which was to do it more via passing and try to move the ball around quickly. And still, it was still difficult to create stuff because I also think just like no one was particularly inspired in the one versus one, the team was also not super inspired or precise in like those one, like in those passing combos, like around the box. So it was also difficult to generate something from that. So yeah, just uh, it, it was a day of the team not being particularly inspired in these situations, lacking fire, lacking firepower, yet they still found a solution. And quite frankly, they still created a bunch of shots. So like you were posting, like the, the team still made like 2.5 XG or something. So the shots were still being produced. So I still find this to be, of course, right now, as it is, this forward line has more than a few limitations. Like this, of course, would be easier. Yes, if you had more 1v1 quality. Yes, if you had someone who's uh, who's even better at getting shots or who can or who's like just a more precise finisher but i feel like against this kind of opponent and with like the relatively kind of low level of individual inspiration from the players just about as good as a performance as they could put honestly yeah i mean look we i think we all agree that the entire squad is not ideal exactly um, and now the window is closed. It is what it is. And we just kind of have to move forward and and just analyze what we see game to game. It's none of the players' fault on the field. Um, it's not really Carlos' fault either. I mean, he's responsible for maximizing the tactics now with the squad he's given. And uh, this performance was 
uh, I think as you know, it's definitely respectable and fine, um, given the opponent and given the degree of difficulty and given the injuries to Vinicius and Courtois and Militao and you know Arda Guler, who sometimes is forgotten in these conversations. Obviously, we haven't seen him yet, but uh, a promising player. Uh, so yeah, I think like I, I was really like like I was almost ready to go out of this just being like okay. I thought that was a solid performance. We just got unlu- unlucky and didn't finish. And in the end, we got to finish that the the required finish. But uh, yeah, I think right now with kind of the deficits of the forward line, these kinds of games can happen. Like, like I was already like, because I was already thinking like before Bellingham's goal is like, yeah, these kinds of like as it is right now with the forward line, these kinds of performances can happen where you have like a lot of shots, uh, but you just don't quite get there. Um, and yeah, like at, at this point, yes, I'd like Jose Lu and especially Rodrigo to be more efficient with the finishing. I think we're a bit overdue on Rodrigo getting a bit. It's interesting because Rodrigo, like before 2021, uh well into like 2021 and even part, first part of 2022 tended to be like a very efficient finisher then the last year or so of rodrigo has been a lot less efficient with the finishing uh let's hope it gets back uh, uh it, he gets back to his previous efficiency cuz then that that would help a lot like that would help unlock a lot of games if he can do a step up in terms of finishing but we'll see but we'll see what happens. But as it is right now, I think games like these, yeah, they can happen. We're just, um, the team just doesn't quite get the finish. But all in all, I think given the opponent, given the difficulties, the team still created a lot. Um, And then now we have an international break. And then we come back from the international break, hopefully as healthy as possible. And that's when the schedule gets intense. So we got Real Sociedad at the Bernabeu. Three days later, we have Union Berlin. Four days after that, we have Atletico. Three days after that, we have Las Palmas. And then four days after that, we have Girona. Two days after that, we have Napoli. Of course, it's not exactly two or three days here and there. It's it, you know the schedule will f- things will get adjusted in the schedule, like a day here and there, but nothing too significant. Basically, the point is we're going to go back to two games a week very soon, right after the international break. Um, Jose, did you have any concluding thoughts on this game that we that you wanted to address? No, what I said earlier was pretty much my conclusion. It's, I think, I think this honestly, like going into the season, I had some doubts at the beginning, like yeah, like from preseason. Well, before preseason, I had doubts. It's like, is this diamond thing really going to work? And honestly, I think we're like the team creates a lot with it. I am kind of surprised at how well that's turned out, and. There are, of course, issues, like I said, when you have this kind of diamond setup, there seems to be like, it seems to be more difficult to get bodies into the box, and that can sometimes be complicated, especially against deeper blocks, as we saw today. It requires a lot from the fullbacks, uh, but all in all, I think 
this team is creating a lot with the current setup. Is it ideal? Of course not. Would you have would you would we have like more forward signing so that we don't have to do this? But honestly, as far as kind of a stopgap goes to address kind of the lack of reinforcements reinforcements of the in the forward line, seeing it in that context, I think this is creating a lot. Yeah, I mean, through four games, we've created 8.48 XG, scored eight goals. That's first in the league, obviously, with the caveat that Barcelona um, played tomorrow and will probably surpass that. Um, also, this is crazy, funny. I don't know. Maybe it means nothing. But did you did you know that Atletico have a combined XG of 6.6 this season, even despite scoring seven goals against... Rio alone. So they've scored 10 goals from an XG of 6.6. So let's see if uh, see if that sustains itself. Um, I also wanted to, Jose, I just wanted to uh, thank everyone for submitting questions to you and I on the mailbag this week through our Discord channel. Our Discord is popping off. It's the place to be if you're a Maradista, if you want high-level discourse and you don't want, you want to avoid what's happening on Twitter, the just constant... Um, Constant shit posting that happens there. Uh, we filter it a little bit in our Discord. We have well over a thousand members now. Please get in on that action. I will include that link in the in the show notes. Um, so thanks everyone for submitting those questions to us for the mailbag that went up over on patreon.com slash managing And also thanks for everyone for attending our live uh Zoom call where we did a transfer deadline day special two and a half hours. Uh, where we reacted to the transfer deadline window closing. And in the meantime, while we waited for news here and there, we also just took questions live on the call. And there were a ton of questions. It would, you know, I, I lost track, but it was basically 2.5 hours of questions and reactions to what was happening. That, <laughs> if you want weekly, if you want to join us weekly for that show, uh, live on the call, including the mailbag, that's over on patreon.com slash managing Jose, I just want to do a quick shout out to our patrons, okay? Before we log off, I know the sun is starting to set in Europe. Your uh, and your I, room is getting and darker also, and darker. And I also, well, that's the thing. Like this is a house, like we just moved in, so I don't have a light up here, which is why I've been in the darkness. Uh, okay, okay, all right. Well, we wanted to give a shout out to our patrons over on Patreon.com/slash Managing Madrid. Thank you so much for supporting the show and being part of this family. Uh, if you pledge $10 or more, not only do you get a guaranteed response to your questions and access to everything, you also get uh, a specific shout-out on the podcast. So shout-out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Will Sousa, Wamik Jamal, Walker Coven, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala, Sujaiwani, Somanchu Singh, Sheikh Hatiri, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorzano, Samuel Justin, Samar Z, Sai Mohan, Sasi Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Diafati, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Moller, Nick Ribeiro, Nelson Mazariego, uh, Naveen Babu Ramesh Babu, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Marin Myrtle, uh, the next page is loading. Got to go. This is, I mean, it's a great problem to have. We're at, you know, two pages. Uh, Mikel, Michael Zinberg, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lext, 
Logan Stahl, Leon Stavronakis, Konal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Osorio, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Soa, Jason Fitz, Jacob P., Ian Marley, Howard Moore, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Connor McMorrow, Christian Toff, Krishna Costa, Brennan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Arnab Mukherjee, Armand Gashi, Armando L., Anthony Tharp, Andres Silvestre, Ananya Kumar, Alex Steiberg, Azaz Hussein, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Ramtin Makhrur, Primo, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. Absolute legends. Thank you so much. Jose, thank you for your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of your Saturday and the weekend. And we'll, uh, we'll catch you again next week on the podcast. Thank you so much. Soon enough, yes. So thanks, thanks for all the patrons for their for their support because without them, none of this would be possible. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Kian, for the invite. See you, uh, see you around. Sports Social Podcast Network.